0: 22 verses 9 to 12. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plough with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. Thanks, Saskia, and uh, good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Jacob. I'm a student pastor here at the branch, Uh, and if you thought those words that we read were a little bit odd, then um, hang in there. We'll get there. Uh, But before we dig into those words, let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make this book, the Bible, live to us, O Lord, show us yourself within your word, Show us ourselves and show us our Saviour. Make this book live to us, O oh Lord. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning by showing you a tweet from a few years ago, and it's it's kind of representative of the kind of thing that you might have seen before. So this tweet says homosexuality is forbidden by the Bible, so are polycotton socks. Uh, The tweeter then quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19, which is a similar law to the one that we just read in Deuteronomy. It says, You shall not wear a garment upon you of two types of material mixed together. Then this tweet says, When they start protesting socks, as much as they protest gays, I'll accept that it's for religious reasons. Thanks Hudson, you can take that down. So basically, the argument goes... If Christians take a moral stance on an issue like homosexuality, then why don't they take the same kind of moral stance on an issue like poly-cotton socks or uh, clothes made out of two different fabrics? It's in the Bible. Have you seen this kind of argument before? It's, it's a cheap shot, really, but it does raise the question, what do we do with all those kind of strange... Weird, obscure Old Testament laws. Laws that say don't plant two types of seeds together, don't yoke an ox and a donkey together, don't mix the fabrics on your garments. What do we do with that? One of the standard answers is to say that those laws only applied to Old Testament Israel, and since Jesus has come and fulfilled the law, that those laws don't apply to us anymore. We don't get right with God by keeping a bunch of strange rules. We only get right with God on the basis of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and faith in him. And while that's true, it's also an answer that can lead to a kind of wholesale disregard Of these Old Testament laws we think they're weird they don't apply to us anymore so we don't really need to bother reading them we don't need to understand what they're about what the details are if we follow a Bible reading plan then we get to the book of Leviticus and we kind of just watch the seven minute Bible project video on YouTube and call it a day we don't we don't bother with the details but we need to take seriously the words of Second Timothy three, verse sixteen, which say all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture. Including these seemingly weird Old Testament laws. And what I want to show today is that as we dig into these laws a bit, as we kind of get into the weeds and understand the details, that we really can squeeze a bit of juice out of these laws that really does teach us and train us in righteousness. We can leave here today with a better understanding of who God is, what he's like and how we can live for him. So what we'll do is we'll start kind of broadly and have a look at the original purpose of these Old Testament laws as a package and what they meant for the ancient Israelites. And then we'll think about what was going on with the specific laws that we just read and and what they mean for us. So first of all, broadly speaking, it's important for us to see that the purpose of the laws that were given to Israel was to map out what it looks like to live in relationship with God, if you remember, God first gave the whole lot of laws to israel to Israel at Mount Sinai, he just rescued them out of Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai, and through Moses he made a covenant with them, a covenants kind of like a relational agreement where God promised to be their God and to take them as his special people. But that covenant had conditions as well. God said in Exodus 19 verse 5, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, Israel, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. In response to God rescuing them out of Egypt, promising to be their God, showing them love and grace and mercy... Israel was called then in turn to love and obey God and to obey the laws that he was about to give them. It's important to note the order here. See, we can kind of think of these laws that were given to Israel as a way for them to get right with God, to earn a relationship with him, a way of salvation. But that's actually kind of... It's putting the cart before the horse. What happened was that God entered into a relationship with the Israelites. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then he gave them these laws to say, this is what it looks like to live in relationship with me. If you obey, you'll know rich blessing, but disobey at your peril. The law was a roadmap for relationship, not a way of salvation. And that's still how God works today. Through the work of Jesus, he enters into a relationship with us, a covenant. And that covenant has all the conditions fulfilled by Jesus' life and death and resurrection. God makes a way for us to know him, to be in relationship with him. And more than that, God then shows us how to live in the context of that relationship. And actually, what a wonderful thing that is that God does. There are so many people out in the world today who just aren't sure how to live. Not sure how to navigate some of the complex issues of life. Not sure how to deal with things like identity, relationships, suffering unhappiness, guilt, not sure how to navigate those things. They're standing on sinking sand. But God, through his word, shows us how to live. He gives us a solid rock to stand on. He shows us what he's like And he shows us how to live in relationship with him. The New Testament is full of lists that say, live like this, don't live like this. Put on this way of life, throw off that way of life. Think like this, don't think like this. Obedience to those things doesn't earn us a relationship with God. But it certainly helps us to enjoy the relationship that we do have with him. To live in sin and disobedience to God kind of takes away from the full experience of his nearness and blessing with you. It's a bit like a marriage. If you're married, then that is a legal agreement. It's a status, if you like. But there's warm marriages and there's cold marriages and every marriage goes through seasons of both. There are times when you're both on the same page, doing all that you can for each other, showing each other tenderness and affection, and there's real feelings of warmth and nearness that come from that. But there's also times when something's not right and you both know it. Things aren't going so well. You can sense the the coldness and distance between you. In both situations, you're still married. It's just the experience of that marriage that changes. And it's a bit like that with God. When we trust and obey and walk closely with God, then we can enjoy a wonderful sense of our relationship with our Creator. But when we stray from the way that God showed us how to live, that's when He can start to feel distant. We can start to feel less assurance of God's love, less peace, less confidence and trust in Him. Our relationship with God hasn't fundamentally changed. He's still with us. Nothing will separate us from His love. But our experience of that relationship changes depending on how we live in part. God shows his people, he shows us, how to live in relationship with him. That's what these laws were all about for the Israelites. The first thing we see is that they were a roadmap for relationship. The second thing we see is that these laws were a way of setting Israel apart from the nations around them. We see that in a profound way in part of the speech that Moses gave to the Israelites right before they entered the Promised Land, which is what we have recorded in the book of Deuteronomy, which we just read. If you remember, it's the the second generation of Israelites since they were rescued out of Egypt. Uh, They're about to enter the Promised Land and Moses is essentially giving them a pep talk. He's telling them, Love and obey God. And he's reminding them again of the laws that God has given them to live by. And what he has to say about these laws is quite stunning. Laws that we might think are strange and weird, Moses talks about them in extremely lavish terms. Listen to this. He says to Israel in Deuteronomy 4, verse 6 to 8, Observe these laws carefully. Why? Why? For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this, nation, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws... I am setting before you today. The laws that God gave to the Israelites, if they obeyed them, were going to make the Israelites stand out as wise and understanding and great and righteous. A nation whose God was near to them. A nation who was noticeably set apart and different to the people around them. And that's where the laws that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 22 start to come in. Those laws in Deuteronomy 22 verse 9 to 12 were designed to serve as kind of day-to-day reminders to the Israelites that they were meant to be set apart. And a big part of that, a big part of being set apart, was that they couldn't let themselves be corrupted by the nations around them. God told them, don't make treaties with them. Don't intermarry with them because they'll turn you away from serving me to serving other gods. In fact, when you go into this promised land, you need to smash down their altars and burn their idols. Why? God tells them in numbers because you are a people, holy, set apart to the Lord your God. This was so central to the identity of the Israelites. Part of being in relationship with God was to be totally devoted to him, to love him with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. And in order to do that, they couldn't allow the corrupting influences of the nations around them to be mixed into their life and into their culture. And to remind them of that, God prohibited them from mixing other things as well he says don't mix two types of seed in a vineyard or the crops and the fruit will be defiled it won't end well just like it won't end well if you mix in the worship of other gods with worshiping me he says don't yoke an ox and a donkey together that's not an egg yoke a yoke was like a piece of wood that was used to tie two animals together and a yoke and a, donk, uh, a, um, a yoke and a donkey, an ox and a donkey were uh, different strength. They'll pull in different directions at different speeds. Doesn't work. Just like if you go off and marry people from the nations around you or make treaties with them, you'll be pulling in two different directions. Don't wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Every day, the the very clothes that you wear should serve as a reminder to you that you're set apart for me. Put tassels on your cloak. We actually get a reason for that given in Numbers chapter 15 verse 39 to 41. God says, You will have these tassels to look at and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. I guess you could say that those tassels were a little bit like a wedding ring. You see the wedding ring and it can serve as a reminder to you of who you love, who you're devoted to, who you're living for. These laws, they were a roadmap for relationship with God. They were designed to set Israel apart and God gave them tangible day-to-day reminders of what that looked like. And importantly, this was all part of the Israelites' witness to the world around them. Their devotion to God, their obedience to his laws, their refusal to be corrupted by the nations around them, that was going to make them stand out as wise and understanding and great. Not because of anything in them, but because of the wisdom and the understanding and the greatness of the God that they followed. And again... God's design hasn't changed. He still wants us, his people, to stand out as different, to be set apart. But what these Old Testament laws were ultimately powerless to do, God has done for us through Jesus. Jesus came and he perfectly fulfilled The whole law of God. His life was a life of wholesale devotion to his Father. He did what was impossible for us to do. He was perfectly obedient from the heart. Obedient even to death on a cross. And through that death on a cross, his blood spilled, purchased a new people washed us clean, made us new and made us people who have God's law written on our heart and on our mind. A people that want to obey God from the heart. If you think about it, no agricultural practice or clothing requirement could ever really do that. That's why those laws passed away, not because they were bad in and of themselves, but because they were powerless. But what the law was powerless to do, God has now done for us through Jesus. He saved us, he set us apart, and now he says to us, live as people who are set apart. He doesn't tell us not to mix seeds or animals or fabrics. He doesn't tell us to dress a particular way anymore. But he does tell us to take care that we don't allow our hearts, our minds, our lives to be corrupted by mixing in the idolatry and the values of the world around us. Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's borrowing this language out of Deuteronomy 22. James says in James 1 verse 27 that part of a Christian's true religion is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That doesn't mean a kind of judgmental, look down our nose, don't associate with anyone outside the church kind of thing. Our posture towards the world around us should be one of love and compassion and outreach but it ought also to be one of discernment and caution. Recognise that this world and the people in it are, by and large, moving in a different direction to us. By and large, not interested in serving God, chasing after idols, and because of our propensity to do the same... We need to be careful because it can be so subtle. If we spend all our time with people who are solely focused on this life and milking it for all it's worth, making money, buying houses and toys, chasing after experiences, then those values, those idols start to seep into our own heart as well. A little bit like sowing seeds into our heart. I don't know about you, and I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but there's people in my life that I know if I spend time with them, I can walk away feeling kind of conflicted. They're talking about their ambitions and their goals and their travel plans and the houses they're buying, and I walk away thinking, am I somehow missing out? It's just like the seeds of those idols of money and success get sown when I spend time with those people. There are other people, and again, not saying that this is the case for everyone, but there's other people who I've had to take kind of steps to just say, I'm probably not going to spend as much time with you anymore because I know that when I'm with them, their values, the way they speak, the way they think, rubs off on me. we can so easily start to absorb the values of the world around us. We can start to think the way the world thinks, like threads of a foreign fabric slowly weaving their way into our heart and mind. I think one of the threads that's running strongly in our culture at the moment is a kind of anti-authoritarianism a lack of respect for politicians or police or teachers or parents, even anyone in authority. If we're not careful, that thread weaves its way into our heart and mind as well. Christians can be as guilty as anyone of posting up memes on social media that just take the mickey out of politicians. We can be prone to thinking that people in authority aren't worthy of our respect and trust. Maybe that stems from our deep-seated desire for autonomy, to not be told what to do or how to live. But if we buy into that too much, we're no different to the world around us. in this area and in so many others, we can start to speak and act and even think just like our colleagues at work or our friends at school. It can easily get to the point where there's nothing really different or set apart about us. But we're called to be set apart. And that's a gospel issue because our call to be set apart isn't just about us, it's about our gospel witness to the world around us, our witness to a world that is falling apart and more than anything else needs to know and turn back to God. Moses said to the Israelites, follow these laws and the people around you will say to themselves, what other nation is so wise and understanding? What other people are so, have their God so near to them? And Jesus says to us a similar kind of thing. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How can we be salt and light if we know different to the people around us? If we assimilate too much with our culture, it undermines our gospel witness. But if we are different, if we live the way that God intends for us to live, if we obey him from the heart, that will get noticed. Some people will think we're weird, or beyond the pale even, perhaps even dangerous and harmful. You really believe that about sex before marriage? You really believe that marriage is only between a man and a woman? You really believe that God made male and female and they're the only two genders? That's weird to a lot of people around us. But other people might just see the way that we live and the beliefs that we hold as wise and understanding. They might be intrigued we might have opportunity to give a reason for the hope that we have, a reason for the way that we live and believe and think the way that we do. These strange old laws in Deuteronomy, they teach us a bit about what it looks like to live in relationship with God. They teach us about the importance of being set apart and noticeably different. And they teach us about how through Jesus... A set-apart lifestyle can bring hope and light into a dark and broken world. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we want to thank and praise you that you are a holy God, a God who's set apart, a God in who there is no sin or malice or injustice or imperfection or corruption. And Lord, we want to thank you that you call us to share in that holiness, that you make us holy through the blood of Jesus and the work of your Spirit cleaning us up and renewing us. And that by your Spirit you give us the strength to live lives that truly are different. Noticeably set apart. Lord, forgive us for where we fall short of this. Every day, every week, we uh, live and act and speak and think in ways that aren't that much different to the world around us. They don't meet the standard of holiness that you require from us. Thank you, Lord, that our relationship with you isn't dependent on the way that we live but it's dependent on your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy shown to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that in his strength you would enable us to continue to grow, continue to be salt and light to the world around us. And we pray that as we do that, that that might get noticed, that we might have opportunities to point people to you, a holy God, that people might really be intrigued. Lord, help us as well to see the way that you want us to live as good and right. To know the fullness of assurance and blessing that comes from following your ways. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.